0: Hello and welcome to the History of Vikings. Today we'll be discussing one of the Icelandic saga's most famous and dramatic characters, Egil Skalagrimsson, the Viking Age poet and warrior who is best known as being the protagonist in Egil's saga. I'm so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Torfi Tolinius, professor of medieval Icelandic studies in the School of Humanities at the University of Iceland. Dr. Tolinius, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, it's absolutely a pleasure to have you. You're welcome. Well, when discussing the Icelandic sagas, it seems that Egil's saga is something people are very excited about. But when compared to all of the other Icelandic sagas, is there anything notable that is different or special about Egil's?
1: Well, uh, <clears throat> there are so many things that uh, one could mention uh, concerning Egil's saga, as I, as I prefer to pronounce it. But first, it's just the character of Eil, or Egil. Ejitl, as I will pronounce it, which is the modern Icelandic pronunciation. He is such a larger-than-life character. He is huge. He is extremely ugly. He uh, is a fierce warrior. He is uh, greedy. And he is sometimes quite underhanded in his dealings with all kinds of people. But at the same time, he has the sympathy of the reader all the time, and uh, the narrator follows him in the the large parts of the saga where he is the main character, and he expresses a wide variety of feelings and existential situations through his poetry, which is uh, quite voluminous. The saga is one of the sagas which contain the most poetry, and uh, of course, it depends on the manuscripts, but uh, we have around 60 stanzas that are associated with individual stanzas that are associated with uh, the saga, and most of them are attributed to Eil A-H himself. And in the various manuscripts of uh, the saga, that you bring them together, we have three long poems also attributed to Eil. A- A-H. So... Um, and these poems and these stanzas are all very intricate; uh, many of them are beautifully crafted. they express uh, feelings and uh, uh, and a worldview which is uh, both interesting and compelling. So all of this together uh, creates a literary character who is uh, both intriguing, colorful, and uh, memorable. And, uh, well, you can never really uh, completely understand him. And that's why he's so alive. And that, that's one of the reasons the medieval Icelandic sagas are still so, so popular, uh, attract so many readers, is that there's a lot of mystery to them too, and which is the type of mystery also associated with human beings. You'll never understand yourself or others. And the same is true of uh, Eil Saga. You'll never understand Aid, you'll never completely understand the story, but there's something in it which is kind of daring you to or inviting you to think about it and try to understand better what it's all about.
0: Yes, that makes sense. Now, the protagonist in this saga, obviously Egil Skallagrimsson, is a rather notorious character. But how yep. are we to think of him when talking about whether the Icelandic sagas can be used as a historical source for the Viking Age is this sort of a fictional character that should be dismissed as providing any insight into the uh, historical evidence of the Icelandic sagas.
1: Well, this is a complex question and uh, deserves a rather complex answer, but I'll try to simplify it. But uh, Eil saga was composed somewhere in the first half of the sometime during the first half of the thirteenth century. So that's after the end of the Viking Age, and it's it is considerably later than the end of the Viking Age. And by that time, the countries associated with the Viking expansion had all converted to Christianity, and uh, they were developing monarchies, uh, state-like. Uh, they were evolving into uh, medieval state-like uh, social structures, and uh, the church was. Uh, is increasing its hold on the hearts and minds of people, but also providing them with tools, concepts, ideas to express themselves and to understand them, themselves. The uh, people of Iceland and uh, of Norway, of uh, the rest of Scandinavia, but also of the Northern Isles of the, and of uh, what are now the British Isles, the Orkneys and Shetland, and also the people of Greenland and the Faroe Islands. Belong to what has recently been been called the Viking Diaspora. That is to say, during the Viking expansion from the late 8th century onwards, these countries were either dominated or settled or partly settled uh, by people originating in Scandinavia. And this was a considerable historical development and during the Viking era, and for a while afterwards, these people considered themselves as being part of a common culture, a common society. they spoke more or less the same language. they were part of what uh, what has recently been called the Viking diaspora and for one some reason, the Icelanders, when they started to write, they had all this oral tradition that they had uh, preserved, they became. The guardians of the memory of the Viking diaspora. So, as historical sources, uh, the sagas have to be understood as the expression of the 13th century of a memory, of a social, cultural memory of the Viking era, era, which was over and had been over for quite a while when the sagas were composed. So, my answer, my complex answer to your question is, yes, we have to understand Ail as a fictional character, but nevertheless, the story is, if not quite plausible, I think it would have seemed to some extent plausible to uh, 13th century Icelanders, Norwegians, uh, Shetlanders, orkneyans uh, <clears throat> etc., because uh, it corresponded to what their social memory told them or was telling them about what the viking age was like and age of course is a viking is the one of the first poems he uh, composes uh, as a young boy after having committed his <laughs> after having killed his first man at the age of 7 i think is uh, <clears throat> goes like this in icelandic do you want me to to recite it
0: yes that would be wonderful
1: okay Það mælti minn móðir að mér skildi kaupa, flei og farar árar, fara burt með víkingum, standa upp í stafni, stýra dýrum knerri, halda svo til hafnar, höggva, mann og annan. So this is a seven-year-old boy saying that his mother, (laughs) in a poem, and quite well-composed poem, if if rather simple for the standards of the skaldic poetry, uh, he's saying uh, that my, his mother told him that, uh, or said that he that he should be given a boat with beautiful oars, and that he would stand, or a ship with beautiful oars, and he would uh, go away with the Vikings and uh, stand uh, at the in the prow of the ship, and then they would go to the ports, kill people to uh, acquire riches. So it is a representation of Vikings, but. When the this saga is composed, and I, I, for my part, believe that this stanza, though some of the stanzas that are contained in the saga may have been composed by Eil in the tenth century, I think that this saga was composed by the author of the saga to, in a way, to poke fun or or have a, a little fun with this whole idea of the Vikings, because Vikings probably. Already uh, by the 13th century, the, this raiding behavior of the Vikings was probably uh, not considered as uh, very commendable, though
0: the author of, the, of Eil Saga is quite ambiguous on this point. Well, you know, you mentioned this concept of the Viking diaspora, and I'm, I'm curious, um, Throughout the Middle Ages, Iceland has given us so many great stories and so many great pieces of literature. I mean, just the whole of the Icelandic sagas. Why why Iceland? Why the Icelandic sagas? What, what is so unique that this, you know, historically in the Middle Ages, that um, this, this island, and I know these stories are older than when they were written down as manuscripts, um, why, why Iceland?
1: So that's a million-dollar question. Why did the Icelanders compose these sagas? Well, we, there's nobody in the—none uh, uh, no, of the sources will, uh, that we have from the Middle Ages will actually answer that question. But, I mean, we can make educated guesses or we can try to understand it in light of what we know about this culture and this society and, and especially its relationship on the one hand to writing, uh, on the other hand to poetry and uh, thirdly in its relationship to the rest of uh, the rest of uh, the nordic world iceland was a comparatively well-off society uh, when in the late 12th and in the 12th and the 13th century the, the agriculture had developed uh, what was needed in terms of trade was taken care care you know they, they had to import wood and 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 grain and so on but uh they had other things that uh, they would uh, uh, that they they could sell and and so it was a rather affluent society in medieval terms uh in that sense and the uh, church had developed quite well and the the church in Iceland was at the time uh, a bit late in uh in transforming the church all over Europe is, is transforming at the time it's become there's a sharper division between clerics and lay people In Iceland, at least until uh, uh, yeah the beginning of the 13th century, uh, the pe- the people of the church or the higher uh, members of, or the members of the higher clergy were came from the same social strata, from the same social groups, from the same social from the same families as the lay chieftains and the lay chieftains were very much involved in running the church as well which meant that they had access to books they had access to uh, to techniques uh, literary techniques they, they probably were educated in probably latin but uh, but at least they were educated in in how to write their own language and 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 read and so on so uh, this was a literate Society and in probably to a greater extent than in most countries, the uh, the layman, so people who were not members of the clergy, had an ed, ed, uh, uh, to some extent a clerical education, and were able to express themselves in writing. This is not unique for Iceland, but it's kind of more uh, obvious uh, when you look at the Icelandic sources. So that's the uh, relationship to writing. The relationship to poetry. Uh, skaldic poetry developed uh, during the Viking uh, era in the uh, courts of the Norwegian, probably Danish, uh, uh, sea kings, and uh, but it kind of petered out uh, in or disappeared in uh, or at least declined in the other countries. But the Icelanders continued to practice it and continue to uh, remember. Uh, this skaldic poetry of old, and for your readers, skaldic poetry is one of the great uh, cultural products of the Viking Age. It's a it's a Germanic poetry based on the old Germanic uh, verse, but it is considerably more complex than that. Both the me- the metrical rules are much more elaborate, and also the literary language, both the the uh, variety uh, of, and the ri- richness of the vocabulary, but uh, also the uh, the use of what are called kennings, uh, paraphrases to uh, to to say things in a kind of a florid, uh, poetic way. Uh, all of this makes it a, a very complex and interesting poetry. And the Icelanders continue to cultivate the knowledge of skaldic poetry, adapting it. Uh, after the end of the after their conversion to Christianity and after the end of the Viking Age and ad, even adapting it to um, though it was pagan in origin they were, adapted it also to Christian uh, concerns and Christian and uh, matters so they knew they cultivated this old poetry and they knew a lot of poems in the 12th century in the 13th century Icelanders still studied remembered knew. Poems that had been composed about Norwegian, Danish, even Swedish uh, heroes and kings uh, of the Viking Age. So, in a way, Icelanders became memory specialists. And they, uh, they were known for this in uh, other Scandinavian countries. Uh, the great Danish historian, writing around 1200 in Latin, Saxo Grammaticus, quotes Icelandic uh, Icelandic informants and their and the uh, vast knowledge of poetry of old poetry of the Icelanders a, a Norwegian uh, historian also uh, uh, also quotes uh, the Icelanders. So Icelanders became memory specialists, and they became this through their knowledge of poetry. Now the third aspect I think that is important to keep in mind when we want to understand why uh, Icelanders produced all of this literature, all these, these sagas, and they're huge, is uh, that they were a marginal society. Uh, Icelanders needed to stay in touch with the rest of the Viking diaspora, and especially uh, with uh, <clears throat> first Denmark, because they were Christians. Uh, well, for for many reasons they had to be in touch with uh, all of these countries. And the main country with which they were mostly in touch, especially as when the saga writings big beca- be- saga writing begins in earnest is uh, Norway. Norway, which is developing as a monarchy, is going through a period of civil wars. Uh, Norway, where uh, the archbishop over Iceland, so the man the Icelandic bishops and priests uh, report to, uh, he is in uh, in today's Trondheim, uh, and in Norway, where there are uh, king, uh, kings uh, w- who welcome Icelanders at their courts. The Icelanders fight for these kings, become members of the court, and Icelanders are also memory specialists. They will go to the court and they will uh, know poetry about the, uh, the ancestors, more or less distant, of the kings and the kings will be interested in that. They will inform historians and they will start to write their own histories of uh, Of uh, Norway, of the kings of Norway, Denmark, etc. And uh, this became, in a way, uh, a way to, uh, well, one is tempted to at least uh, uh, think that this was a way for Icelanders to get into court, to uh, make themselves noticed, to become part of this uh, courtly or royal society which was uh, which was organizing itself in Norway and in the other Scandinavian countries but which Icelanders were not a part of because Iceland was a much smaller society and and uh, there were no kings in Iceland and not even nobility in at least in the uh, in the uh, strict european sense as as in the other countries so all of this when you put all of this together It is, um, it it kind of explains why this, all of this literary activity. Educated lay people interested in other writings than the writings uh, specific to the church. Uh, People who are interested in poetry know a lot of poetry. Uh, This poetry is both a form of art, which they practice and uh, has an impact on the way they write prose, but is also a window into the past, one could say, or a record. Of past events, which can be used and exploited to tell stories of past events, and then a need to find a way to make to yes to 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 be noticed in these larger countries where which Icelanders uh, where Icelanders went, especially ambitious young men and and uh, wanted to make a name for themselves. And I think there's a so these are the three main ideas, and then there's a fourth one which I think is also quite important is this is a society which is undergoing change in the period when the sagas are written. It is a society which has been never stable, but kind of evolved peacefully in uh, the 10th and the 11th uh, and into the 12th century. And uh, But by the end of the 12th century, and especially in the, in the beginning of the 13th, uh, the power structures of society are kind of... Uh, Reorganizing themselves, especially in light of the increasing attraction of the Norwegian monarchy, and Iceland wanted to become, or many Icelanders felt the urge or felt the the draw of this, or the attraction of the uh, Norwegian monarchy. And anyway, society is changing, and so because of all these changes, and because of the, and these changes also had had as a consequence the. The most violent period in Icelandic history, the the years from 1235 to 1262, and it, it may even start a bit earlier and it continued for a while afterwards, are the most violent uh, decade in Icelandic history. The only period in Icelandic history where you had real battles uh, with you know casualties, uh, tens of people being killed during with uh, battles involving hundreds, if not thousands of uh, uh, of warriors fighting each other, so I think that the fourth reason for this uh, literary activity is a, a great need for to understand what's going on. To un- in a way, it is the Icelanders, and especially the sagas, which we call the sagas of Icelanders, or the family sagas, or the sagas about early Icelanders. These group of about forty sagas which are uh, uh, which are all composed well most of them are well, most of the great ones at least are composed in the, in the 13th century are also wondering about what it means to be an Icelander because these sagas, an Eil saga is probably one of the earliest of these sagas are about the first generations of Icelanders the people who came here during the Viking period founded the society uh, and uh, were pagans but nevertheless founded uh, this society gave it laws and and so on who are these people or one could, one can read them as a, or read the sagas as a kind of a questioning about who are these people who who were our ancestors and what does that tell us about us
0: yeah no i i really appreciate that thorough answer that that makes sense well this is a debated question i know Um, Some scholars have argued that Egil's saga is perhaps the work of Icelandic historian Snorri Sturluson. I know the Stirlung family was very powerful in Iceland at the time, but um, what are your thoughts on this, if I may ask? Um, And is there any sort of evidence for the origin of this saga?
1: Well, uh, I wrote a book, uh, a monograph devoted to Egil's saga, and the subtitle is The Saga, The Viking Poet and Snorri Sturluson. So uh, I am uh, I kind of jump on the wagon or let's say I take the risk of believing the many uh, indications that argue for the, that for uh, Snorri Sturluson's authorship of the saga. This is not something we can ever be sure of. Snorri Stur, we know from contemporary sor- sources that Snorri Sturluson was not only a historian He was also a poet, but he was mainly, and that's what our historical sources or contemporary sources tell us, was mainly a great chieftain. He was one of the most powerful men in Iceland, and he uh, was actually also very influential at the Norwegian court. He became a baron of the Norwegian realm and uh, a position no other Icelander had attained at the Norwegian court until then. So, uh, but the contemporary. Sources also tell us that he composed sagas, but what sagas did he compose? Well, we don't know. Uh, Concerning works that we can, without any doubt, attribute to him, well, first of all, there's a poetry that is attributed to him, uh, uh, a long poem in honor of the rulers of Norway, which is uh, composed by Snorib and which is incorporated to uh, a work called the Etta, and so Snorri was killed in 1241. Manuscripts from around 1300 uh, tell us that Snorri was the author of the Eta. and the Eta is a very important work. I'm sure you have had the opportunity to to talk about it to your uh, o- your uh, audience. It is uh, our main source about the old Norse mythology. But Snorri composed it as a as a kind of a handbook. To teach young people how to compose Skaldic poetry, this poetry I was talking about earlier, and w- w- which uh, Snoddy was uh, a practitioner. He was not a bad poet at all. Then, so we know that Snoddy composed this long poem in honor of the king or the rulers of Norway. We know that he composed this, or we're reasonably certain that he composed this, uh, the Etta, this handbook for poets, uh, which is also a rich source of knowledge about the old uh, Norse mythology uh, we are reasonably certain that he composed at least the, most of the history of the kings of Norway called Heimskringla and uh, we know this because in uh, later versions of the same sagas uh, excerpts or or references are made to Snorri Snorri says this or Snorri says that and so we have a work we can be reasonably certain that uh, that is by snode, where medieval sources tell us that it is by Snoddy, but no medieval source tells us that Ayl Saga was composed by Snoddy. It's only hunch. And actually, the first person that I know of who, who thought about this was a was a 19th century Danish scholar who kind of came up with this idea. Maybe Snoddy composed Ayl Saga as well, and it kind of. Fits with what we know about Snorri, because, on the one hand, there's this great interest in the old poetry. On the other hand, there's a kind of a type of humor, kind of dry, a bit sardonic humor, verging on the grotesque as well, that we find both in the Edda and in Hemskringla. And also Eil and especially Ail's father is the first settler and the founder, uh, one could say, of the, the society of western Iceland, of the Borgarfjörður area, which was Snorri's power base. And uh, Eil and Skatla Grímur, father, were ancestors of Snorri and of his uh, kin's, kin group. And so uh, they. Uh, so it would make sense that he would write about his ancestor, who was not only his, ancestor, his direct ancestor, but also the founder of uh, the uh, kind of... Uh, of his, of the geographical power base of that he had acquired and was that of his family. Finally, and this is based on more recent research, well, research that started in the sixties and seventies, but has been made much more uh, been made easier by the advent of of digital technology. Uh, the um, when you do statistical analysis of the vocabulary of the sagas and compare. Uh, you know, uh, the, compared to the style, the choice of words, the choice of expressions, and so on. Well, no saga comes up as being close in the use of words, in the statistic of of, uh, of uh, vocabulary usage. No saga comes closer to and etta, than eilsein. It comes very close to it. So all of this together makes it very likely that Snorri or somebody very close to him, both in time and space, composed Eil Saga. And so in my book, The Enigma of Eil, which was published by the Cornell University Library in 2014, I uh, take, well, first I analyze the saga as a literary work of art. I study its structure. I study the way it generates meaning, and how uh, we can understand the story of age because this the uh, the saga tells us Eil's story from birth to death from the he uh, appears on the scene of the saga at the age of 3 and he uh, dies at the age of 90 and uh, yeah most of the saga is devoted to him and to his life and um i show how all kinds of imagery, references to mythology, but also references to uh, Christian stories, and not the least stories from the Old Testament, and not the least the the figure of the Old Testament poet King David, are probably being referred to uh, by the author. And he is there is a subtext to the saga, which uh, is understandable in terms of the uh, way of thinking of medieval Christians. And again, that. Uh, we uh, we cannot say it too often that uh, Snorri Sturluson and the people around him and his contemporaries were uh, medieval Christians. They were people who were part, uh, who went to church uh, regularly, who heard stories from the Bible, who were worried about what would become of their soul uh, after their death. And uh, so uh, uh, I'm studying the saga from this point of view, and then I go on in the second section of the book, and I study the context in which Eil Sara, this work of art that I've just analyzed, the context in which it appears. So I, I do a study of, uh, of Icelandic society, especially the members of, uh, especially the, the upper layers of Icelandic society, and I especially try to bring forth the importance of culture in that society, what, uh, what, what could be called the cultural capital of uh, the Icelandic chieftains in the the 13th century. And doing this, doing this analysis of society, it it starts to make sense why the Icelanders were, or the Icelandic authors, while probably belong more or less to the upper echelons of society at the time, why they engaged in this activity of of writing the sagas and how complex and complicated it is. And then I do, thorough study of Snoddy's life, and especially his conflicts with his close kin group, because one of the themes of the saga that comes out of my analysis of it is that it is a lot about, uh, though though A. It is in conflict with many, many people, there's a subterranean conflict between him and his older brother, and between him and his father. And uh, I think that this is the main issue in the saga, and it would have been uh, apparent to the audience. But I believe the saga was composed to be read aloud to the audience of the saga, especially the contemporaries of Snorri Sturluson, that he was referring to conflict—a conflict that he had been in himself over 15 years between a uh, conflict between him and his older brother over power in the country, and especially. Uh, the conflict is between Snodri and his older brother, but it is even more uh, violent and aggressive between Snodri and his nephew, uh, who is only twenty years younger than he and who is competing with Snodri for po- power not only in the in their region, uh, but in the rest of the in, in the the whole country. As I was telling you, uh, Snodri was one of the bo- most powerful men in Iceland, and uh, his main the main con, uh, his main competitor for that power it turned out to be his own nephew Sturla Sigvatsson, and so I propose as a theory at the end of my book, which is not one one can never. Uh, it is a, it is only a theory which will never be proved that that Sagan, in all its complexity, and uh, as and uh, as a work of art, was composed both to entertain. Guests at a feast Smarag held held in his home uh, near the end of his life to entertain the guests, but also to tell them, in subliminally, by through this by telling them the story of their ancestor, and by maybe using some of the poetry attributed to to this ancestor Ait. Some of it may have actually been authentic, but also by composing some poetry into the saga, he's telling a story. In a way, he's telling these people something about his own life, about the conflicts that had been going on between extremely violent conflicts involving killings and battles and driving. Snoddy was driven away from his home uh, by his nephew at one point. Uh, Extremely violent conflicts that had uh, taken place between members of the same kin group. So, um, Ait is, uh, or the story of Ait, in all its complexity, is about the violence between people of the same kin group, but also the uniting factors which, are, uh, which uh, are related to the fact that all of these people were descendants of this poet who had been living in Iceland two to three centuries earlier, who had engaged in conflict with the Norwegian kings, but had also tried to serve them and who was, like these people, uh, very much into this uh, poetry of old. So the art of poetry, I think, was also one of the unifying factors that uh, Snoddy was proposing through uh, the writing of Eil Saga as a way to bring together the warring
0: factions of his own family. That's fascinating. Well, you know, Dr. Tolinius, I've learned a great deal today, and I'm so glad we could have this conversation. I'll put a link in the description below to uh, your book that you just mentioned. But thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, thank you. I've had a lot of fun too.